Ted, if you can. You're welcome to ATC 103. The third class in this series. The title is Our Mission and Our Driving Force. Our Mission and Our Driving Force. Our Mission and Our Driving Force. We started about three weeks ago or thereabouts looking at God's original plan and intention for man. And we're able to see that God made man to be the crown of his creation. God gave man dominion over the earth and everything he has created. And God made man to be in charge. But we learned that man fell from glory because he disobeyed God. He did that which God said he should not do. And therefore, man inherited the sin nature. Man died spiritually. Man was separated from God. And God had to send his son Jesus Christ to come in the form of a man to come and redeem man. And we're able to see that through repentance, confessing of your sins and forsaking of the same, that you will be saved. That anybody who believes in his heart and who confesses with his mouth will be saved. Amen. I will say that you can take hold of salvation by repentance and by receiving Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And we're able to establish in that, in that class that man is essentially a spirit being. He lives in a body and he has a soul. You are spirit, soul, body. Amen. And in the second class, we re-examine the issue of our salvation. We examine what does it mean to be born again. We're able to see that to be born again means our spirit man that was separated from God, that means that died spiritually in the Garden of Eden, was reconnected back to God. We're able to see in that class that the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away and all things are become new. We're able to show you in that class that when you gave your life to Jesus, everything in your past is gone. You never had a past. You only have the present and the future. And we, tell, we told you in that class that your future is bright. Amen. You, your future is bright because God's plan for you is so great. And don't let your past hold you back. And we're able to see in that class also that you need to carry the consciousness of your new creation. He said that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things are become new. You need to walk in the consciousness of your new creation because you have a new identity. You have a new culture. You have, you have, we told you in that class that first of all, your citizenship is in heaven. You belong to the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says that you are an ambassador of Christ. You represent Christ. Like Pastor Kelly used to say, the Christ that people will see is the one that lives inside of you, that you manifest, that you express. Amen. Because we are Christians, we are supposed to behave like Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. So tonight, we are continuing and we are going to be looking at our mission and our driving force. Our mission and our driving force. Why were you saved? Why was God interested in saving man? What is at the back of his mind? Amen. God is a God of purpose. God does not do anything without a reason behind it. Amen. It's only a lunatic that does something without a reason behind why, 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 why he's doing what he's doing. So God saved you for a purpose. 
Amen. God saved you for a purpose as an individual, and God saved us for a purpose as a corporate entity. Amen. So tonight, we have four objectives that we want to accomplish by this class. One, you should be able to appreciate the person, the presence, and the power of the power, the presence, and the person of our driving force, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our driving force. And two, you should be able to appreciate the existence of a church. Why do we exist as a body of Christ? Three, you should be able to appreciate our specific purpose or assignment here as Praise Chapel Christian Fellowship in Kansas City. And four, you should be able to articulate the vision statement of this local assembly. Amen. So today we're going to start by talking about the Holy Spirit. So let me pose this question to you. Who is the Holy Spirit? I'm sure you have heard about the Holy Ghost. Some of you already speak in, you speak in tongue. So who is the Holy Spirit? Anybody? What do you say? Jesus. Amen. The Holy Spirit is a distinct personality from the Lord Jesus Christ and from God Almighty. But the Bible says that the three of them are one. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Amen. And the three of them are one. Let me explain it to you this way. God decided to express himself in three forms. As God the Almighty, as God the Son, and as God the Holy Ghost. And he expresses himself in these three different personalities with three different assignments. God the Father is the architect of everything. He decides. He plans. He decides. Though in consultation with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But it is God the Son that is used to create. It's like God the Son is a raw material. And God the Holy Spirit is the creator. Let me repeat that again. It's like God the Father <coughs> gives a master plan. God the Son is the raw material used to create. And God the Holy Ghost is the creator or the builder. That's just in a nutshell telling you about who God is. The Bible says in the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, it says, come, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That is God, the, the Godhead meeting together, consulting together and deciding, let us do something. Let us make man and let them be in charge of what we have created. Amen. But we are all familiar with God the Father. We all know Father God, God Almighty. We all know God the Son because we have given our lives to him. But many of us, we don't know God the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. You see, it is a person, the presence, and the power 
of the Holy Spirit that, that was the driving force of Jesus when Jesus was on the surface of this earth. Amen. For instance, when Jesus was around, he was the driving force in the life of, of his disciples. He does everything for them. Remember this story when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, your disciples, they do not fast. Whereas the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist, they fast often. What did Jesus tell them? He said, they don't need to fast because I'm here. Because I am everything they need. So why should they fast? He said, but when I'm taken away from them, then they will fast. So when Jesus was walking on the surface of this earth, his presence, his power, was the driving force of his disciples. Amen. But now Jesus has gone back to heaven. And he has sent us another like himself. And that another like himself is the Holy Spirit. Let's open our Bibles to the book of John chapter 14. This was Jesus speaking, speaking to his disciples concerning the Holy Spirit. Concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This was Jesus saying, I, will, I am going to ask the Almighty Father to send to you his spirit. When you read it from the King James Version, he said, I will send, I will have the Father to give you another comforter. When you look at it in the New King James Version, he says, and I will give you, I will pray the Father to give you another helper. Amen. Why, are, why this different differences in terminologies? The point is this, that word that was translated as comforter or helper is a Greek word that, may, that is paraclete. Paraclete is a Greek word that was translated as comforter. And in the Greek, the word paraclete has about seven different meanings. Paraclete means comforter. Somebody who comforts you. Paraclete also means helper. Helper means somebody who helps you, who gives you a helping hand. Paraclete also means teacher. Somebody who teaches you. Paraclete also means strengthener. Somebody who strengthens you, who gives you strength to go on with what you're supposed to do. Paraclete also means guardian. Somebody who guides you. Say, go to the right, go to the left. You understand? Paraclete also means somebody who stands by you. Paraclete also means an advocate or an intercessor. Amen. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is going to be to you a comforter. When you are in distress, it will comfort you. The Holy Ghost is your helper. When you need some help, it will give you a helping hand. 
The Holy Ghost is your guardian. He will guide you into every area of your life so that you take the right decisions in life. The Holy Ghost is your advocate. He helps you in your prayer life. He's your intercessor as well. The Bible says that he holds hands with us and he, he helps us to pray according to the will of God for us. The Holy Ghost will be your strength man. When you are weak, the Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. The Holy Ghost will strengthen you. Amen. So when Jesus was using the word paraclete to describe the Holy Ghost, he is saying the Holy Ghost will come and it will be your comforter, it will be your teacher, it will be your helper, it will be your guidance, it will be your strengthener. Amen. And let me say to you that the Holy Ghost is the most underutilized person in the church today. Jesus is the Lord over the church. Jesus is the Lord over the church. But the Holy Ghost is the Lord in the church. Let me explain. Jesus is the Lord over the church. The church belongs to Jesus. But the Holy Ghost is the Lord in the church. What does that mean? When Jesus was going, he sent the Holy Ghost to come and represent him on earth. So the Holy Ghost is the Lord in the church. That's the reason why you see uh, like uh, on... On our Sunday night services, Pastor Keller will say, let the Holy Ghost take over. Why? Because it's the Lord inside the church. He decides the operation of the church. He decides what happens, what we should do, the direction we should go. Amen? Why? Because he knows the heart of Jesus. He knows the heart of Father God. And he will direct us if we surrender ourselves to him, if we submit ourselves to him. Amen. So the Holy Ghost is supposed to help us. Now come with me to the book of John chapter 16. This was Jesus speaking to his disciples when he was about to, to go to the cross. Let's read from verse 7. This was Jesus saying, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying, listen, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. Do you know the reason why? We're going to see shortly that Jesus did not start his earthly ministry until the Holy Ghost came from heaven and came upon him. We're going to see shortly. Now, when the Holy Ghost came upon Jesus... It is the fullness of the power of the Holy Ghost that was upon Jesus. It is the fullness of the power of the Holy Ghost, the fullness of the presence of the Holy Ghost that was upon Jesus. That means, as at that time that Jesus was walking on the surface of the earth and the Holy Ghost was upon him, the Holy Ghost cannot come upon any other person because Jesus had everything that the Holy Ghost is. Because the Bible tells us in the book of John chapter 3, it says that the Father did not give to him the Spirit in measures. The Holy Ghost was given to Jesus in the fullness of himself. Why? Because of the importance of the work that he was going to do. So, but you and I cannot carry the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Your body will disintegrate. <laughs> Amen. And the reason why Jesus was able to carry it was because it does not have the same nature. 
But you and I, we inherited the sin nature from Adam. So we cannot carry the fullness of the person and the presence of the Holy Ghost. So Jesus said, I'm going, then I will send them back. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost came back, the Bible says that it divided, it divided himself. So you have a portion. 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 I have a portion. That's the reason why when you don't come to church, you are robbing us. You are robbing us of what belongs to us. Because God gave a portion of himself to you to benefit other people. So when you stay in your house, you are keeping the portion of the Holy Ghost in your house instead of bringing it to the church. That's the reason. Have you heard of this word before? Corporate anointing. You are anointed. You are anointed. You are anointed. You are anointed. But let me say you have a small anointing. Small anointing. Small anointing. Small anointing. When all the small anointing comes together, it becomes a big anointing. Does that make sense to you? So please, don't rob us by not coming to church when you are supposed to be here. Amen. That shows that you are very important in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. So Jesus said, nevertheless, it is to your advantage that I go because if I don't go, the Holy Ghost will not come on you. Amen. Then he began to say to them, he said, when the Holy Ghost comes, it will convict the word of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You see, when the Holy Ghost is in your life, it will convict you when you miss it. It will convict you of sin. It will convict you that you need to live righteously. And it will keep you in check that, listen, God is going to judge you one day. Amen. Then verse 9 says, Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the, the ruler of this world is judged. Listen to verse 12. Jesus is saying to his disciples, he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You see, until the Holy Ghost comes upon you, there are some things we'll be sharing with you that will be like Greek and Hebrew. There are some things you will not understand except the Holy Ghost gives you illumination. So even Jesus was telling his disciples, he said, there are so many things I want to tell you, but you can't understand them, so I won't bother sharing with you. He said, but when the Holy Ghost comes, the next verse says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, it will guide you into all truth. Can you see Paraclet there? It will guide you. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Ghost will show you things to come. The Holy Ghost will show you things that will happen tomorrow to you. Amen. You can pray to God and God will reveal to you. This is what will happen to you in the next year. This is what will happen to you in the next week. But many of us are not using that. But it's good for you to know that it is available to you. Amen. And Jesus said, it will glorify me. It will take off mine and will declare it to you or will reveal it to you. Amen. So the Holy Spirit is for us. Now you need to know that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not fire. 
though we may use fire to represent his characteristics. The Holy Spirit is not wind, though we may use wind to describe some of his characteristics. Amen. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not falling down under the anointing. Amen. The Holy Spirit is a person. You will see here that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he. So when he has come, when the Holy Spirit comes, he didn't say when it comes. Amen. That shows you the Holy Spirit is a person. Amen. And he has a distinct personality from God the Father. And he has a distinct personality from God the Son, who is Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at the book of Matthew chapter 3. And we will see the God edge manifesting simultaneously at the same time. Just to show us that they are different, though they are one. And that's a mystery. Matthew 3, I read from verse 16. He, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Listen to this verse. After Jesus was baptized, Jesus is God the Son. As he was coming out of the water, God the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove and came upon Jesus. Can you see God the Son and God the Spirit? Then a voice was heard from heaven. In verse 17. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That was God the Father. So we can see at that moment of in time, God the Father speaking from heaven, validating the ministry of the God, the Son on the, on the earth, and we saw God the Holy Ghost, who came and he fell upon God the Son. So that shows us right there and then that the Holy Spirit is a distinct person. Amen. You see, it is the presence of God with us and in us by the Holy Spirit that empowers us for ministry. You cannot do anything without the Holy Ghost. Jesus was saying in John chapter 15, I think verse 2, he said, without me, you can do nothing. But Jesus is no more here, but he has sent us his spirit. So without the Holy Ghost, you can do nothing. Amen. Usually I will say this. Whatsoever you do for God, that is not a product of the grace of God upon your life, it's not acceptable. Whatever you do for God in the flesh that is not dictated by the Spirit is not acceptable. Because what is religion? Somebody said religion is, God's, uh, is man's attempt to please God in his own ways. And what is spirituality? Spirituality is you attempting to please God using God's method. God has decided how you and I can place him. So when we go by God's method, then we are placing to God. But when you decide, no, this is the way I'm going to please God. This is my own way. It's not acceptable to God. 
Amen. It's like this. You come into my house and saying, well, um, I want to help in your house. And you are saying, I'm going to decide how you're going to help me in my house. I will decide how you will help me. Is that okay? But if you insist that you must be the one that will decide how you will help me, I can say no. That's not acceptable. This is my house. Does that make sense to you? So the same way God decides how we should be pleasing to him. And the Holy Ghost help, helps us to be pleasing to God. Amen. Are you flowing with me tonight? Are you flowing with me tonight? So apart from the presence of the Holy Ghost, we can do nothing. It is the power of the Holy Ghost that empowers us for ministry. Remember, Jesus did not start his earthly ministry until after he was baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Ghost came upon him. He did not perform any miracle, not recorded in the scripture, that he performed any miracle until the Holy Ghost came upon him. And remember, Jesus performed all these miracles. He died, he resurrected. Then when he was going, he told his disciples in the book of Acts chapter 1, he said, and you will be endued with power from on high when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. But he told them previously in the book of Luke, the last chapter of Luke, about the last verse. He said, make sure you, do, you tarry in Jerusalem and do not attempt to do ministry until the Holy Ghost comes. Why? You can't do anything without the Holy Ghost. You will wear yourself out. If you do anything without the, without the influence of the Holy Ghost upon your life, you're going to wear yourself out. Is it prayer? If you pray without the help of the Holy Ghost, you get tired easily. Is it studying the scriptures? If you try to read the Bible without the help of the Holy Ghost, it becomes like a storybook. And you only read the story parts of it. <laughs> and you understand what he's saying. Amen. You need the Holy Ghost to help you to pray, to study the word, to relate with people, to love the unlovable. Amen. To forgive. How many people notice you need God to be able to forgive some people <laughs> and some situation? Does that make sense to you? We need the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Holy Ghost empowers us for ministry. Let's look at the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said, you will be endued with power from on high when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you will be endued with power from on high. When the power comes, what are you supposed to use the power for? Let's read Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. What is the purpose of the Holy Ghost coming upon you? To be a witness. To be a witness. To preach the gospel. Let your life be a witness to the power and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your life, your conduct, your behavior, your speech, let it be a witness to people. Let your life be a, let your life convict people in your office, in your schools, 
in the public, anywhere you are. Let your life convict people. Amen. When they see you, let them see Jesus. It takes the Holy Ghost to be able to help you live that kind of a life. And when the Holy Ghost comes, let's look at Acts chapter 2. The Bible says that on the day of Pentecost, I read from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there were appeared to them the, the divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under the heaven. And it continues just to give the account of the day of Pentecost. We're able to see there, uh, we're able to see in, that, in those verses of scripture that the Holy Ghost came for the first time upon the Christians, upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And he divided himself. So like I said earlier, you have a portion of the Holy Ghost. You have a portion of the Lord Jesus Christ in you. Amen. And when we all come together as a body of believers, we bring together a greater anointing than when you are alone in your own closet. And the Holy Ghost, when the Holy Spirit comes, it comes with gifts. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts in about three, of, three classes from, from now. We're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. The Holy Ghost comes with gifts. What are these gifts? Gift is the spiritual equivalent of talents. You know what are talents? When you say somebody is a basketballer, they are skillful, they are talented. See, that, that's a talented football player. That's a talented athlete. That's a talented basketballer. You understand? Spiritual gifts is the spiritual equivalent of natural talents. Amen. When somebody is talented, they are able to do a lot of things that ordinary people cannot do. Does that make sense to you? So when you have spiritual gifts, you are able to do things that natural people cannot do. Does that make sense to you? That's the reason why you can lay hands on the sick, they will recover. A natural man cannot do that. That's the reason why you will preach to somebody who is a deadly sinner. And that person will become a saint, will become changed. Amen. It takes the power of the Holy Ghost in your life to be able to transmit and reflect and manifest that kind of power and anointing. Does that make sense to you? So you need the Holy Ghost. Amen. You and I, we need the Holy Ghost. So we're going to talk more about the gifts of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost is our driving force. It is the power, the presence, and the personality of the Holy Ghost that drives us in ministry. I tell you, ministry will be boring without the Holy Ghost. I tell you, you will burn out in ministry if the Holy Ghost does not renew your strength. If it does not renew your enthusiasm for ministry, if it does not renew everything about you daily, you will get fed up. Amen. Hallelujah. Now let's study, let's look at why do we exist as a church? Jesus told us why we exist as a people, as a body of believers. He said in Matthew 5, 13, 
He said, we are the salt of the world. We are the salt of the world. Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. Now, why did Jesus use the word salt to describe us? You see, in those days, there are no refrigeration. They don't have refrigerators. They don't have no fridge. There's no way to preserve food or other things. So how do they preserve things? They preserve them by keeping them in salt. Why? Because bacteria and other things like that that breaks down food cannot invade salt. Is that okay? So if they want to preserve meat or fish, they embed the fish and the meat in the midst of salt. So Jesus is saying, you and I are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? That our presence here is what is preserving this earth. Let me tell you, folks, the Holy Spirit is a restraining force against all evil. Can you imagine the world without Christians? How will this world be without Christians? Can you imagine this world without people who are praying? We have not seen anything yet. <laughs> it will be terrible after the rapture when Jesus comes and takes away all the Christians on earth. It will be terrible. Then that means it is the presence of Christians on the earth today that is still putting a limitation on how far Satan can go. Does that make sense to you? It is the presence of Christians, praying Christians especially on this earth, that is creating a boundary where Satan can or cannot operate. Is that okay? But when we are taken out of this world, then Satan has freedom to operate anyhow he wants, without restraint. So Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are supposed to restrain evil. Maybe somebody is sick. And that sickness is going to lead to death. But you go there, you lay hands on the sick and they recover. What have you done? You have restrained evil from happening. Is that okay? Maybe the devil has planned that somebody is going to be involved in a wreck, in a car wreck, and they're going to die. And you pray against that happening. You have restrained evil from happening. Does that make sense to you? So you, have, you are a salt in that situation. So you are supposed to preserve. We are supposed to be preservation agents in this world. Amen. Jesus also said that we are the light of the world. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, it said, Arise and shine, for your light has come, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. In verse 2, it said, For gross darkness covers the earth, and gross darkness the people. He said, But your light shall shine out of darkness. Have you noticed that this world is a very dark place? When we say dark, we're not saying talking about physical light. We're talking about evil. Evil is darkness. And good is light. So the Bible says that you are the light of the world. Jesus himself said that you are the light of the world. Amen. Maybe you are just a little candle. 
don't think that being a candle, don't look down on yourself. It's better for you to be a candle for you not to, to be darkness. Does that make sense to you? If you are a little candle, assuming there's no light in this room, and we light one candle, and we put it in that corner, there will still be darkness in this room. Is that okay? But what about if we begin to light many candles? If we light 200 candles in this room, when there's no light in there, what will happen? There will be light in this room. Does that make sense to you? So Jesus is saying, you are a light. You are a light. He said, let your light shine so that the Son of Man, the people of this world will see that light. You know, there are some people, they are such a shining light in their office. That for instance, if maybe somebody in your office is trying to, they're going to do some, uh, do some fraud. But they know that you are a Christian. They will not come to you to participate. Because they know that if you know that they're going to perform a fraud, you are going to reveal it to the boss. In that case, you become a light. And what happens? When light appears, what happens to darkness? Darkness disappears. Or darkness gives way. Now, take note. Darkness does not go away. Darkness is in this room. But the reason why we don't see the darkness is because of light. Once we turn off this light, what will happen? Darkness manifests. Does that make sense to you? So when you as a light comes into an environment, what happens? Darkness will go to the background. And as long as your light is shining, darkness will remain suppressed. But the moment you stop being a shining light, darkness takes over. That's the reason why it's a terrible thing to backslide. It's a terrible thing to backslide. That means you've been a light and you're now going back into darkness. The darkness will make sure that you don't come back to light. If you come back at all, it will be very difficult. Amen. So Jesus said, we are the light of the world. Now, let's look at what we call the five purposes of a church. We have seen that we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. Let's look at five purposes, five main purposes why, why we are here as a church. The first purpose why we are here as a church is to evangelize the world. To preach the gospel. Another purpose why we are here is to worship God. The Bible says worship God in the beauty of holiness. Another purpose why we are here is to have what we call kononia or fellowship. Another reason why we are here is for discipleship. To be taught. To become like Christ. And another purpose why we exist as a church is for world mission. Amen. Now, if you look at those concentric circles in your paper, there are five concentric circles in your paper. And the middle of, that of, of those circles, the innermost is called the core. The next one to it is called the committed. 
Can you see it? And the next one to that is called the congregation. The next one to congregation is called the crowd. And the outermost is called the community. What is the meaning of this? Before you gave your life to Jesus, you were a member of the community. You were a member of the community. Then somebody came on outreach. Via evangelism, you were attracted. All right? And when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you were brought in from being a member of the community to become a member of the crowd. Let me explain. A crowd gathers every Sunday morning. Not everybody that comes to church on Sunday morning is a member. Some are just coming here to check out what's happening here. Some are unbelievers who have been invited. Some are saved. So we call it a crowd. The crowd on Sunday morning consists of the member of congregation and members of the community who are visiting. Amen? So one of the major purposes of the church is evangelism. And evangelism is targeted towards the community. Is that okay? Evangelism is targeted towards the community with the purpose of at least attracting them to come on a Sunday morning, for instance, to be a part of the crowd. Amen. Then when, you, when we gather on Sunday morning and we begin to worship, the Bible says that God is looking for worshipers. We will worship him in spirit and in truth. As we begin to worship, the presence of God comes down. Amen. And a member of the crowd who is visiting, who has come to check this place out, is convicted by the presence of God during the worship or during the preaching. And that person responds to the altar call. And that person gives his life to Christ. And that person decided to be a member of this church. Then that person is moved away from being a member of the crowd to becoming a member of the congregation. Does that make sense to you? So worship is targeted at members of the crowd so that they can become committed. Because when we worship, God comes down. And God himself is the one that convicts people. The Holy Ghost convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Amen. Now that you're a member of the congregation, we don't want you to remain there because the goal is to move you progressively from the community to the core. So there are some people, so many people, they remain in that circle of congregation. They don't move further. They become stuck. But we don't want you to be stuck. We don't want you to be just a member of congregation. There are some people, they are a member of this church. They come only on Sundays. Come Sunday morning, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. That's it. They pay their tithe. They give to the building. They do everything that we do. But that's all. Bible study, no. Midweek service, no. 
Sunday night, that's too much. That's asking for too much. So they just, but they are members of congregation. But we don't want you to remain as members of congregation. But how can we move you from being just a member of congregation to the next cycle, which is a committed? It has to come by fellowship. It has to come by fellowship. You see, when you begin to fellowship with other believers, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that iron sharpens iron. Amen. When you begin to fellowship with other people, especially people who are in the core or people who are committed, their commitment begins to affect you. Their commitment begins to influence you. They begin to encourage you. Hey, why don't you come on Sunday evening and see what's happening? Say, okay, I will try one. And when you try that one, nobody could stop you from coming. Then they ask you again, why don't you come to midweek service? Then you came and you love it. And nobody could stop you thereafter from coming. Out of fellowship. Then they invited you to come for Bible study on Friday night. You attended just once and you couldn't stop coming. Amen. Then, with that, you become a committed member. Not just a member, but you become a committed member. So we, we target fellowship towards people so that they can become committed members. Amen? And committed members, what do they need? Committed members need discipleship. You can't disciple just any member of the congregation. There are some people who tell you, I don't need discipleship. What, 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 what do I need it for? Amen. So, but committed member, we keep them committed by giving them discipleship, by teaching. By you coming to these classes, you are showing us that you are committed. I tell you, it takes commit commitment to come out on a cold Monday night, to come and sit in a one and a half hours class. It takes commitment. There are so many people who have not been able to do it. Some people started, they never ended. They dropped out. And we want to bring them back. Amen. So we target teaching and discipleship towards the committed members. This is the way we look at it. Why waste your time teaching and discipling somebody who is not going to use it? It's a waste of time and resources. You're wasting your time, you're wasting their time because they ain't going to use it anyway. So why, why, why disciple them? Amen. Hallelujah. Now that you are committed, maybe you now have a ministry. You join a department. You are doing good. You become an usher. You become a Sunday school teacher. Amen. We don't want you to remain there. We want you to be the best that God has called you to be. We want you to be a member of the core. Who are the core? The core are the people who do ministry. Who take it as their life. They have more than being just committed. They are the people who believe that they have a destiny. And they want to fulfill that destiny, whatever it is whether to be a pastor someday, to be an evangelist someday, or just to be yourself and just to be used of God in the local assembly. Some people are called to be pastors. They're going to pioneer churches. But some are called to stay behind to help other people. 
Some are called to steer around to make sure that everything is going on here. Does that make sense to you? We want you to be a part of a committed. And we target missions and apostolic impartation on people who are members of a call. Remember, Jesus was telling his disciples in John chapter 16. He said, there are some things I want to tell you. John 16, 12. He said, but you cannot handle it. <laughs> there are some things we don't share with even the committed people. They can't handle it. It's too much for them. Amen. It's like trying to teach a three-year-old boy or girl things that you teach a PhD student. They can't handle it. It's too much. So graduate. You know, when people go to college, they have the first degree, a bachelor's. Then there are some people, they go further. They have the master's. And some people, they go even further. They have the PhD, doctorate. Is that okay? Some things that you teach doctorate people, master's people will be lost. Is that okay? So we want you to graduate. Don't be satisfied with your first degree. Don't be satisfied with just being a graduate. Get some postgraduate degrees. Everybody sitting here, I believe, have their bachelor's. You have BA. What is BA? Born again. <laughs> you have your BA, born again. You are a graduate. You are born again. Now somebody goes to school and says, I have a BA in arts. Bachelor of arts. But you are in church. And you are a graduate. In the school of the kingdom. And your degree is BA. So when you write your name, write BA. And when they ask you, what university did you go to? University of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and what's your degree? Born again. But we don't want you to just stay being a BA person. We want you to have a postgraduate, MSc. What is MSc? Master of Situation and Circumstances. We want you to become a master of situation and circumstances. You know, there are some people, they are born again, but when the devil shows up, they are scared. The devil can able to deal with them easily. But when you become a master of situation and circumstances, say, Satan, I rebuke you. You are a master of situation and circumstances. Amen. And after you have graduated from, you are a master's student. Then you want to have your PhD. You want to pummel hell and the devil. <laughs> you want to pummel hell and the devil. You know, the, the devils, when somebody was trying to cast out devils from the sons of Sceva in the book of Acts, the devil says, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. Who are you? You see, when hell knows who you are, that's, you have PhD. <laughs> Your name is not in hell. They, they know you as a devil terrorist. You terrorize the devil. <laughs> Amen. You terrorize the devil. The devil knows you are a suicide bomber. You can kill devils. Amen. So we want you to graduate. So those are the five purposes of a church. And please, we want to implore you by the mercies and the grace of God. Please, don't stay in the crowd. 
By your coming to this Monday classes, you have even showed us that you have moved from being a crowd to becoming a member of a congregation. But we don't want you to stay at that level. Please be committed. And when you become committed, oh, you're going to become a member of the core. People in the core are the people who gives ministry. The people in the committed, they receive ministry. We want you to become a minister because you are a minister of the gospel in your own right. You don't have to be full-time. You don't have to be a full-time pastor, but you are a minister of the gospel. Amen. Hallelujah. Is that very clear? Amen. So please join a ministry when you are done. We're going to talk more about that in class 6 when we talk about serving God in the local assembly with your spiritual gifts. Amen. Now, those are the general purposes why a church exists. But this is a local church. We have a mission. Every church should have the general mission that we have just stated. Fellowship, evangelism, missions, discipleship should be in every church. But here in Priest Chapel, God has given us an assignment. God has given us an assignment. He has given us a vision. And we want you to know about that assignment we have because we want you to participate with us. The summary of our goal and our vision is this. God has sent us to win one, to build one, to send one. Our vision is to win, to build, and to send. Our vision primarily is the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come with me to the book of Matthew 28. When Jesus was leaving the surface of this earth, he gave a direction to his disciples. He gave the assignment. And this is the assignment every local church, every Christian should have. In verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, look at me. Three weeks ago when we talked about our salvation, we said that when God created Adam, I mean Adam and Eve, he made them to be in charge on the earth. Is that okay? And that's it. But now Jesus said, all power on earth and in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, because all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore. That means you can speak and things will happen in heaven, not just on earth. But because Jesus said, whatsoever two or three of you shall agree concerning on earth shall be done in heaven. Now, we don't just have dominion over the on earth alone. But whatsoever we do on earth has some influences on heaven. Does that make sense to you? Say, so go therefore and make disciples. Did you see that? Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. 
teaching them. Can you see disciples if I'm teaching? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you an assignment and I'm backing you up. I am with you. You will not go alone. I will be with you. But the assignment is disciple the nations. Disciple the nations. Amen. Disciple the nations. Go ye into all the worlds and disciple the nations. Make disciples of nations. Amen. So our vision is to win, to build, and to send. Win somebody from the community. Turn them progressively to become members of the core. Then send them to be ministers of the gospel. Amen. We can send you out of the city to go pioneer a church. Or we can send you to your job place, to your office. To go win souls. We can send you to the street corner. We can send you to your family members to win them to Christ. But we're going to send you. You will be sent. We want you to be sent. Disciple nations. Disciple other people. Teach them to observe the things. The things that Jesus has had taught us. Amen. So we win the lost. Turning them from sinners to becoming saints. By the transforming power of the Holy Ghost. Then that now that you are one. We want it to be built up. We want it to be built up. It's one thing for you to be recruited by the Marines Recruitment Center. But then, they send you to a training camp to be built up, to become a Marine indeed. Does that make sense to you? Now that you graduate from the military training school, then they now send you to your station. And they can decide to send you to Iraq or anywhere for military duties. Does that make sense? The same thing in the church. We told us that we, are, we were conscripted into the Jesus Army when we became BA graduates. We were conscripted into the Jesus Army. And like you came on a Monday night, this is a process to build you up. Amen. And you will be sent forth Monday. Some will be sent out geographically out of the area. But for most people, you are just being sent to your community. You are just being sent to your family. A husband, you are just being sent to your, to your family, to your wife and your kids. A wife, you have just been sent to your husband and your children. As a teenager, you have just been sent to your parents. Let your life convict your parents. Amen. As a parent, you are being sent to your children. Let your children be your greatest disciples. Amen. Say, so go into all the nations and preach the gospel. That word nation is a Greek word that means, that, that is cosmos. Cosmos means people groups. People groups. Go into all people groups. Maybe the Latino people, they are a people group. Go into the Latino people and preach the gospel. Amen. Maybe when you go to KU Medical Center, you see professors and doctors. They are a people group. We need somebody to go in there and preach the gospel to them. Because the way you preach the gospel to somebody on the streets is not going to work with them. Yeah, because they are full of 
head knowledge. You understand? So we need people to go in there and preach the gospel. So Jesus is saying, go into different people groups. Go on the street where we have the gangsters and the drug addicts and preach to them. The way you preach to somebody in Overland Park may not walk on the street in Quindero. So you have been sent. There are some people that only you can reach. There are some people that only I can reach. Amen. And Jesus is sending you to them. Amen. So we sent you forth as church planters, seasoned soul winners, and missionaries. What's our mission? Our main mission is to outreach every walk of life. We have seen many churches here moving from the, from the, from the inner cities to other areas that are probably more prosperous, probably more favorable, and living the inner cities where drugs, violence, and other things are on the increase. But God has called us to the people on the streets. Jesus said in his parable, say, go into the byways and the highways and compel people to come into my kingdom. Our mission here is to go onto the street and go look for souls. Souls will not just come into the church by seeing our signpost outside. We have to go look for them. Fishes does not come to the fisherman. The fisherman goes to look for fishes. Does that make sense to you? So saints need to go look for sinners to bring into the kingdom. Amen. So our mission is to outreach. For instance, God has given us a very great tool of evangelism in this church we call the L Night Drama. How many people have seen the L Night Drama here? It's a powerful tool. Every year, almost 2,000 people or more get saved in the last seven or eight, nine years that we've been having hell nights. I should say conservatively, over 16 or 18,000 people that have given their life to Christ in the last nine or eight years that hell nights have been staged every year. Amen. That means we're touching lives. We're touching lives. At least we're sowing the seed of the gospel. Some people, they may not walk on it. They may give their life to Christ on that hell night day. But maybe they may never really take a decision until they are on their deathbed dying. Then they will remember. And they probably repent. They die and probably go to heaven. At least we save somebody. Does that make sense to you? But some people, they will respond to the call. Like I remember Brother Jason Halde that was taking our attendance. God saving hell night drama. But today, he's becoming a minister. He's a Bible study leader. Amen. Can you see what God can do in the life of a sinner? God is the only one that can turn a sinner to become a saint. Amen. It's only God. It's a miracle that God performs. Amen. And we also want you to know that Praise Chapel Christian Fellowship, Kansas City, is not an orphan. We are not an independent organization. We belong to a family of fellowships. There are so many Praise Chapel Fellowship churches all over the world. And tonight we're going to give you a brief history of how Praise Chapel started. 
Amen. Praise Chapel started in 1976 in Maywood, California. And it was started by a man of God. He's now passed. His name is Pastor Michael Neville. Himself and his wife, they are indigents of Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they received an invitation to come and take up an all-white church in Maywood, California. And they prayed about it and they had a release in the spirit to go take up the church. But Pastor Mike is the son of a preacher. His father is a preacher. His father is into outreach, evangelism, all those things. So he has been impacted with that. So when he took up the church in Mayo, California in 1976, he began to notice that the, the, the composition of that church does not reflect the community. Remember the five-fold purposes of a church. The outermost circle is the community. What happened is this. The area where that church is located is a gang-infected invest, area, full of gangs. But the members of that church, they are white, <clears throat> and they don't live in that area. So it's like this. It's like having this church in Quindero. And for people who are attending the church, they live in Overland Park. So they will drive through the street of Kindero, Quindero, come to the church, worship, and when they are done, they leave and go back to Overland Park. So they were not impacting their community. And Pastor Mike, when he got there, he began to have this vision. Wow. This church must affect the community. And he began to preach in his church that we're going to reach our community. And the white people got mad. Say no way, man. Because the gangsters, most of them are cholos. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> but the man of God said, no, I have a vision from God. We're going to reach our community. He began to preach it. The history had it that when the first gangster family got saved, many people left the church. Many people left the church. They just left. They went to other places. But the man of God was adamant. He was focused on his vision. And he began to preach. Began to outreach in the community. And many gangsters got saved. Many prostitutes got saved. Many murderers, ex-convicts, drug addicts got saved. From the street, they were healed of their addiction. And they got on fire. And a great revival broke out. Amen. The, 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 the revival was so great that the church grew. The church dwindled from maybe about, I can't remember the, the statistics now, maybe from about 200, dwindled to maybe less than 10 because he was preaching that we should reach the community. But God took from that 10 that remained and they grew sporadically. There was a time they grew to 900. And Pastor Mike Neville had another vision. Say, wow, we can't contain what we have here. Let us spread it out. Then he had this vision. 
let us reproduce what we have here in another place. So a few years later, they sent out the first church to another part of California to go start another Praise Chapel church. And the success was so tremendous. And it became a pattern so rapidly that almost every now and then, couples have been sent out to different cities in the United States. They started with California, saturating a, lot, a, a greater part of California, planting Praise Chapel churches, then to other states of the, of the nation, then to other countries of the world, sending out missionaries. Today, we have over 2,000 Praise Chapel churches worldwide. Over 2,000 churches worldwide. Amen. In the Philippines, in Africa, in Asia. And apart from that, we have missionaries that are just missionaries. They don't have Praise Chapel churches, but they are missionaries. Amen. So many of them that have been sponsored. Why? Because our vision is win, build, send. So we want you to know that you are a part of a family picture. You know, you can take your own personal portrait picture. Then you can have a family picture. So you are a member of the family. Amen. So God has really multiplied this fellowship and we are all over the world and the vision still remains the same. It has not changed. Win one, build one, send one. Amen. Win one, build one, send one. And to show that we are one body, we are interdenominational. We are not a denomination. We are just a family of fellowship. We love Jesus. The Bible says that forgiving much, loved much. Most members of our fellowships are ex-drug addicts, ex-gangsters. Some are ex-murderers. Amen. And when you look at what God has forgiven you of, you cannot but love him more. Amen. So that's why Praise Chapel is radical. Amen. Praise Chapel is radical. Why? Because we were radically saved. <laughs> we were radically saved. I, was, I, I used to say this. When I look at some of the brothers around there, I used to say, Lord, I just thank you that I never met them before they were saved. <laughs> because even now that they are saved <laughs> it takes grace to deal with them <laughs> so I am, I'm now trying to imagine what they were like without Christ so if you are this way with Christ in your life I wonder what you were without Christ in your life <laughs> amen so that's the reason why Prince Chapel is radical amen radical hallelujah so, because we have grown so large, in order to be able to keep the vision, because it's very easy, as we, we're becoming larger and larger and bigger and bigger, it's very easy to, to get lost. In order to keep the sanctity of our vision, we normally have conferences every two years. We call it the World Conference. Two years ago, we had one in Phoenix, Arizona. Where all praise chapel churches from all over the world come together to meet 
to rekindle our vision and to resharpen the vision. Amen. All our missionaries from all over the world are brought in to the World Conference for refiring. Amen. Somebody say, don't retire, just refire. Amen. Don't retire, just refire. So it is necessary for us to refire sometimes because it's very easy to get one out on the mission field or to get one out pastoring or to get one out just being a Christian. But when you go to conference, you are fired up again. Amen. And one is coming up again this year in Phoenix, Arizona again in June. Amen. And we want to encourage everyone to go to what conference. Go and see what Praise Chapel is. Praise Chapel, Kansas City is not all Praise Chapel. Go out and see. Meet people from all over the world. Meet missionaries from all over the world. And let their fire ignite your fire. Remember I was talking about anointing. You have been given an anointing, an anointing, an anointing, an anointing, right? Let's say that those anointings are small, small anointings, right? I'm by no means saying no anointing is small. Is that okay? I'm just using for the purpose of explanation. Is that okay? When your own anointing meets with your own anointing, meets with your own anointing, and those anointing comes together, that atmosphere is set on fire. Fire of the Holy Ghost. Does that make sense to you? Amen. Now, we want you to know you know, we have this book in the Bible. We call it the book of Acts. Acts of the Apostles. In the Bible, it has only 28 chapters. But we make bold to say that the book of Acts is not finished. The book of Acts is an open book. And it is being written every day. And what we want you to do is to add your own chapter to that book. Amen? We want you to add your own chapter to that book. What will be written about you when you die? Or when the rapture comes? What have you done with the power and the anointing that God has released upon your life? We want you to participate. Don't be a spectator. Be a participator. Don't be a spectator. Participate in what God is doing. Does that make sense to you? Participate in what God is doing. Amen? And as we round up tonight, the question is this. We have seen the vision. We have seen wind, build, and send. We have seen you need to move from being a member of the community to be a member of the core. But now let's personalize it. What about you? What are you going to do? Now we have laid before you our mission. We have given you our mission statement, wind, build, send. We have shown you our vision. We have shown you what God has called us to do. What about you? Come with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. How many people believe that God is God? How many people believe that God has no problems? How many people believe that God has problems? God has some problems. <laughs> okay, how many people believe that God has no problem? 
Lift up your hands. God has no problem at all. Okay? Okay, how many people believe that God has some problems? <laughs> Amen. God has a problem. What's the problem? God wants to reach the world. And the problem is he's looking for people. Amen. Let's read the book of, the book of Isaiah chapter 6. I read verse 8. <clears throat> also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And who shall go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. So you can see God's problem there. Can you imagine the creator of the universe looking for somebody to send? There are over 7 billion people in the world today. And God is looking for a man. Always. He's always looking for a man. And when I say a man, women are not excluded. It means mankind. God is looking for a man or a woman. When Isaiah saw the vision, he saw the dilemma of God that the creator of the universe, the, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, is looking for somebody. Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. So the question I want to pose to you tonight is this. What is your response tonight? God is looking for somebody. God is looking for somebody to send to your family. God is looking for somebody to send to your office people. God is looking for somebody to send to your schoolmates. God is looking for somebody to send to your area. What will be your response? Will it be of indifference? I don't care. Or will you say, Lord, here am I, send me. And we've told you earlier, all God is looking for is for you to say, I'm available. God will equip you. God will strengthen you. God will teach you. And He will lead you and guide you into what to do. So many people will say, well, I don't know what to do, so I would rather not volunteer. Don't worry about that. All you need is, I'm available. If you can do it anyways with your strength, then you don't need God. Whatever you can do without God is not really from God. Because God will not give you something to do that you can do without Him. So you will need God anyway. Right? So what will be your response tonight? God wants to send you. God wants to send you to your friends. God wants to send you to the people you grew up with. God wants to send you to the people you went to school with. God wants to send you to people of your age group. Amen. Teenager, God wants to send you to teenagers. Older people, God wants to send you to older people. 
young men and women, go on to send to young men and young women. Ladies, go on to send it to other ladies. Men, go on to send it to men. So the question is this. What will your response be? Let's rise up on our feet tonight. What will your response be? God has a problem. God is looking for someone. Say, who shall we send? Who shall go for us? Who shall we send? Who shall go for us? And I want to begin to talk to the Lord. If you think your response will be like Isaiah, I want to begin to tell God right now. Say, Lord, here am I, send me. I may not know how, I may not know what, but Lord, I'm available. You have saved me, you have delivered me from my sins. I was a sinner going to hell, but you saved me. I would have been dead right now, but you delivered me. You restored my life. I was messed up, I was jacked up, but you put my life back together. Lord, what can I do but to give you back my life? Look at me, this is what God does. You are messed up, you are jacked up, you are going to hell. So what does he do? He saved your life. He saved your life. Remodeled your life. Then he gives your life back to you. They now say, can you give it back to me? Willingly, voluntarily. Does that make sense to you? He gives it back to you. And he wants you to give it back to him willingly. Amen. And I want us to pray tonight. Say, Lord, I give it back to you. I sow my life to you as a seed. Wherever you want to send me, whatsoever you want to do with my life, I tell you it's a privilege to be used by the King of Kings. It's a privilege to be used by God. God can do without you, but you cannot do without God. Amen. But God is constraining himself to use you. How many people want to be used by God tonight? Lift up your hands to God and begin to talk to him tonight. Say, Lord, here am I sent. In this business of winning one, building one, and sending one, Lord, use me. Lord, use me. If it's just to pass out tracks on the street corner, if it's just to go on outreach, I will do it, Lord. Strengthen me, Holy Spirit. Help me. Help me, Lord. Lord, here am I sent. Here am I sent. Here am I, send me. 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 Lord, 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 send me, Lord, send me. Lord, here am I, send me. Lord, send me, Lord. Send me, Lord. Send me, Lord. Lord, I pray tonight for my brothers and my sisters, oh God. Send us tonight, oh God. Send us, oh God. Jesus said, the laborers, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Say, pray the Lord of the harvest that we force laborers into the field. Lord, force us into, your, into, into the harvest field, oh God. Lord, force us into your destiny for our lives, O oh God. Lord, force us, compel us into our destiny, O oh God. Lord, compel us into our, your purpose for our lives, O oh God. Lord, compel us into that which you have prepared for us, O oh God. Lord, and prepare us for what you have prepared for us, O oh God. Lord, here we are tonight. Say, so send us. Send us, Lord. Send us, Lord. 
Father, we thank you because it's a privilege to be used by you. Father, we give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you guys for coming tonight. And let me say here that for you to be sent, you have to be built. And for you to be built, you have to go to Bible study, come to midweek service, complete these Monday classes. When you are done upstairs, you go downstairs to complete the one downstairs. Join the ministry. You are being built. And as you are being built, you'll be sent forth. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Amen.